Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Microsoft Azure for Amazon AWS Cloud Professionals. My name is Keith Mayer. I'm a principal architect for the Microsoft Azure platform. And back again with me today, my co-host as always, Gerald Hugh. Hey, Gerald, how are you today? Good. How are you, Keith? Great, great. Well, Gerald, thanks again for joining us today. And uh, let's see, we're in episode three of our series. So for those of you that are watching that haven't seen the first two episodes, be sure to go back and check those out first and then come back and watch this one because there's lots of great stuff to help you get started with Azure uh, before you concentrate on new stuff in, in, in this episode. But uh, Gerald, in the last couple episodes, we got everyone started with some of the basics uh, from a terminology and structure standpoint between Azure and other cloud platforms. And let's see, in episode two, our last episode, we talked a lot about helping people build out their base networking architecture in preparation for an application deployment to the Azure cloud. We saw there were a lot of commonalities and some advantages that Azure had in terms of networking over other cloud platforms as well, and some pretty cool ways of getting started from a prototyping standpoint and then being able to repeat that into reproducible patterns. Um, so we've got our network built out in our Azure data center region. As we progress forward with getting ready to deploy our application workloads, what do you think's next? Uh, should we just jump into VMs, or is there something else that we should be thinking about first? Yeah, I think for the next part, we should really focus on storage, because that's always something mm. that uh, my customers ask is like, well, now that we have like all this stuff, like how do we put our things in there, and like where do we store it? What, what storage things do you have to offer? So let's talk about storage today. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Storage is a, another huge topic for kind of infrastructure planning. Yep. So let's let's jump into that. Twenty minutes should be enough time. <laughs> and and as we were talking about Gerald, storage is really a huge topic when it comes to Azure. We have trillions and trillions of objects that are currently stored in Azure today, around the world throughout our Azure data center regions. Um, and storage has been designed, you know, very durable, very scalable for for large even you know, multi-petabyte storage needs that applications have within the cloud. Lots of, uh, lots of customers using storage is probably one of the most common workloads, I would say, that uh, people use Azure for. Is if they don't know, if they're not using it for anything else, chances are they're using it at least for storage. Would you, would you agree for that, with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, the price for storage has gone down so much in the past years. So, I mean, like everyone is looking for better and cheaper ways to store their data and like more efficient ways, really. Yep, definitely. And uh, one of the areas, though, that I find some confusion around for uh, other cloud professionals that are coming from competing cloud platforms, like maybe they have a lot of experience with AWS, for instance, and they're looking at Azure storage, is on the Azure side, we kind of combine things a little differently than some of the other cloud providers do, where we have really two Uber storage offerings. We have Azure Standard Storage and then Azure Premium Storage. And within Azure Standard Storage, we have lots of different options for how storage can be provided, right? We've got standard storage that can provide blobs as objects, sort of like in the AWS world. AWS would provide through the S3 service. We've got Azure Files that provide more of a uh, cloud driven uh, file share service, sort of like the AWS Elastic File Service. We've got Azure, we've got table storage as part of Azure Standard Storage. It's sort of like SimpleDB on AWS. We've got queues, sort of like SQS on AWS. 
And then we've got disks, where standard storage can even provide magnetic back disks, similar to like the, the EBS base disks, not the SSD disks, but the base disks on, on AWS. So standard storage encompasses all of those different storage offerings. You build a standard storage account, and then inside that standard storage account, you have different endpoints that you can use for blob object storage, for file storage, for queue storage, for table storage, and whatnot. And then when we think about faster, high IOPS type disk performance, we also have another type of storage, premium storage, that's SSD based. And that's sort of like what AWS provides through the EBS provisioned IO, uh, provisioned IO disks, uh, where premium storage is specific block storage that can be used to provide SSD backed virtual disks to virtual machines, making it highly scalable. Um, and, and as we mentioned, uh, storage is kind of the table stakes, right? In the cloud, everybody uses at least storage. So storage is pervasively available through any of our Azure data center regions. And as we mentioned, it's durable and highly available. And part of that durability is that um, when we think about standard storage, and uh, storage is certainly durable and highly available across all of those regions. And, and part of that durability is baked right into the basis for our standard and premium storage, where as those storage services are presented within an Azure data center region and customers start writing their data to it, every block of data is synchronously triple written to three separate physical fault domains within a storage stamp in the Azure data center region to eliminate single points of failure. Uh, interrupting any access to storage. So very, very durable. In the event of uh, failure within one fault domain, um, there's two other copies that are synchronously written and automatically can be used for servicing read and write requests, while a replacement copy of that third copy is being generated on the fly behind the scenes. So very survivable. Beyond a single data center region, though, we also, just with um, a quick option choice when we're provisioning a storage account, can enable a storage account for asynchronous geo-replicated storage, which goes even further. With geo-replicated storage, not only do we get the three synchronous copies in our local Azure data center region that we provision the storage account in, but we have three additional copies that are asynchronously replicated to a remote Azure data center region hundreds of miles away. So in the event of a big disaster and that primary data center region becomes unavailable for whatever reason, your data is safely being replicated over to that remote location. So kind of built-in data protection for, for disaster recovery purposes from that standpoint. So very durable, uh, very available. Uh, storage, very scalable, as we said, into the, the range of petabytes of, of, of storage from that standpoint. One of the uh, questions that I get a lot of times, though, is how the standard storage works with virtual machines, because virtual machines, when they're consuming standard storage, they don't normally consume it as blobs or tables or queues. They consume it normally as disks, right? And so one of the 
features of standard storage in our blob storage service is the ability to have a special type of blob called a page blob that can be exposed to a VM as a what appears to be a block level magnetic backed disk device. And so our standard storage, similar to what AWS provides through Elastic Block Storage, a separate offering on their side, um, has the ability to also surface up these page blobs as virtual hard disks. Now, some of the differences that I've seen with other cloud providers is that other cloud providers that have a completely separate block service use a completely different type of data redundancy and durability around their block-based services from their object-based services. Whereas, and it might be lower in some cases, right? Whereas for Azure, our magnetic back disks are using the exact same storage service that all that other stuff for blobs and tables and queues is using. And so as you store a page blob, for presenting a, one or more disks into standard storage, you benefit from the exact same data durability that our object storage benefits from in that standard storage service. So the exact same durability, much much more highly durable than, than what I've seen in other competing cloud platforms for block-based disk. Now, each of those disks are in you know, an industry standard VHD format to make them very portable. Again, a lot of other providers, they don't necessarily use a portable format to on-premises uh, locations. If you're moving workloads back and forth with Azure, it's using an industry standard VHD format that Hyper-V natively reads and writes to uh, on-prem, as well as other virtualization hypervisors can import and be able to, to use from a, a standard standpoint. Each of those can be up to a terabyte in size. And if you need more than a terabyte of space, you can stripe multiple disks together to create larger virtual file systems. Um, using our largest VM sizes, our G-series VMs, you can have up to 64 terabytes of total space, which is a ton of space per VM. And uh, each of those underlying disks on standard storage can, can support up to 500 IOPS. So you can scale and stripe across multiple disks if you need more capacity or you need more IOPS. Um, and this is all mag disk based, right? So we haven't talked about the SSD options yet for even higher performance. So, so when we're presenting these virtual disks then back to a VM, uh, a lot of people ask, well, how exactly does, does that look from the VM standpoint? You know, the VM boots and it's got, if it's a Windows VM, it's got a C drive. If it's a Linux VM, it's got a root file system um, as its OS disk, essentially. And that's stored as a page blob in Azure Blob Storage. And it's got a local host-level disk cache to be able to cache frequently accessed data, reads and writes locally. Um, the VM also gets a local temporary disk that for a Windows VM gets exposed as a D drive. For a Linux VM is sort of a scratch file system, right? Um, and that's similar to what you might think of in the AWS world as being temporary ephemeral storage or EC2 instance storage is what AWS calls it. Um, that temporary storage is not persistently backed to Azure Blob Storage. It's really intended more for temporary needs while the VM is running. Things like a page file, swap area, um, temporary uh, locations for building or indexing data, but nothing that you'd want to um, store persistently to this because it's not blind. That VM, if that VM uh, gets reprovisioned, this temporary disk gets regenerated on whatever host 
in the Azure region it's placed on. So, so don't put any data that you want to keep around on the, on the temporary disk. Instead, you want to attach one or more additional data disks to that VM that th those data disks are each persistently backed by Azure Blob Storage as well as page blobs. So any data that you write to them is persistent um, across the lifetime of that disk. So you, VM shuts down, restarts, gets reprovisioned, the disks can be pulled back in, the data is retained. And Keith, now, why don't you uh, kind of maybe help our you know, more AWS familiar folks understand what it actually means when you're saying like, oh, a machine is you know, no longer provisioned, because that can mean a lot of different things in different um, providers. So yeah. for us, what does that actually mean? <clears throat> yeah, so, so in, the, in the AWS world, um, AWS, I believe, calls it terminating the VM, right, where you're basically deprovisioning de it, shutting it down and exactly. deprovisioning it. So in Azure, it could be that you're shutting down the VM and deleting it, but keeping the disks around, or it could be in Azure that you're just shutting down the VM into what we call a deallocated state. And then in that deallocated state, the VM is not reserving any CPU or memory or IP address type resources. And so there's no cost for the compute charges of the VM on Azure when it's in that deallocated state. But even in that deallocated state, all of the data that you've written to persistent disks is still safely stored out to Azure Blob Storage. And then when you start the VM back up again, it reprovisions it and ties it back to those same disks it was using previously and has access to all the same data. Cool. Great. Now, in addition to presenting block-level storage as virtual hard disks, with Azure, we also have the ability to present storage as a file share through our, right from our Azure st standard storage through an endpoint called Azure Files, a service of standard storage called Azure Files. Azure Files provides an SMB3 or SIFS accessible location that sits right on top of the Azure storage account. So you don't have to spin up any VMs to be file servers or anything of that nature. It's just an alternate protocol to expose Azure storage accounts through. Um, so it's great for things like web applications that might need a shared location across multiple VMs for storing things like configuration or common content or diagnostic logs or whatnot. Um, we see a lot of customers that use this approach for lifting and shifting web applications up to Azure where those web applications might be pointing to a SIFS or an SMB share for reading and writing a lot of that information back. So it's a great option from that standpoint. And um, when we use those, that Azure Files mount point, um, essentially inside the VM it gets mounted as what looks like another native mount location for that VM. So if it's a Windows VM, it can be mapped to like a network location and give a, give a network drive letter to, like a G colon or H colon drive letter, for instance, inside the VM. Or if it's a Linux VM, it uh, could be mounted in that's the FS tab as a SIFS share and, and uh, show up as whatever mount point that you've mounted that, that location under. So very flexible from that standpoint. The last area that we want to talk about, though, from a storage standpoint is premium storage. Premium storage is our SSD-based offering. So it's similar, for those of you that are coming from AWS, it's similar to what AWS offers in the EBS provisioned I.O. offering, where it allows 
you to provision virtual disks as block storage for VMs with very fast throughput, very high IOPS, so that you can get performance that's needed for heavy-duty, you know, it could be database servers or big data servers or whatnot, servers that have a, a heavy storage requirement. And um, each of those disks can support up to 5,000 IOPS per disk. You can scale up to multiple disks per VM with our largest VMs. You can scale up to 64 provision storage disks, uh, reaching up to 64 terabytes of total storage and as much as 80,000 or more IOPS. Um, the premium storage disks are intended to be used with a specific class of Azure VM instances that you'll see when you're provisioning VMs. It's the DS and GS series VMs. The S in both of those cases stands for SSD. Um, so it's a D series or a G series VM that has high speed connectivity back to our premium storage stamps within that same Azure data center region. So when you need heavy duty throughput, that's where you can go. Well, Gerald, we've been talking quite a bit about storage. Do you think it makes sense to drop over into the portal and take a look at the CLI and some templates around setting storage up? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, why don't we head over to the lab and uh, and we'll we'll drop in and, and build our storage accounts together and, and see how that looks. So we're going to step through in the Azure portal first, building out a new storage account. And then we'll look at storage accounts through the CLI as well and look at how we can interact with them more programmatically. So in the Azure portal, I can provision a new storage account just like any other resource by clicking on New. And then under Data and Storage, I can select storage account. So you'll see that listed here. And when I select storage account, it's going to prompt me for some basic parameters. So I need to give each storage account uh, a unique name. So let's see, I'll call this Contoso uh, Store 05, we'll say. And it'll just check to make sure that that is indeed a unique name. And then it's going to ask me for a kind of account. This is a relatively new feature. Um, we've got two choices here, general purpose or blob storage. General purpose allows me to build a storage account that provides all of the facilities that we've been talking about so far, whereas blob storage builds a special purpose storage account that I have the ability to activate for cool storage or hot storage. So recently we announced our cool storage offering that's at a much lower price point per gigabyte for data that's infrequently accessed. Still has the same durability and general performance characteristics, but the expectation is that that data would not be as frequently accessed, so it wouldn't place as much of a load on our storage stamp, and because of that, we pass that savings on to our customers as well. So a great option in cool storage for longer-term archival storage. Um, whereas if we, for our account, our account kind, if we choose general purpose, we don't get that access tier option for cool versus hot, and it assumes that the storage account is going to be using hot storage for everything with general purpose. With general and, purpose, I'm sorry, go ahead, Gerald. And for one of the things for cool storage, I just want to let folks know is the, the big difference is even though you are saving the cost, when you do um, read let's say that you were to use cool storage and you were reading a lot, then you pay more for those reads. Uh, yep. That is the difference. That's where 
the cost really comes back at you. So uh, it's something to just keep in mind and be aware of when you can actually move from the cool to the hot storage um, and move back down as appropriate, but you just need to make sure that you know where your assets are. And we have helpful tools to actually, you know, monitor those scenarios for you. Yep, yep, that's a great point. So we'll we'll create a hot storage account, and I'm going to create it as a general purpose storage account so that we can use disks or blobs or tables or queues or any of that. And the next question is going to ask me is, do I want a standard storage account that has all of those storage features that we talked about earlier? Uh, the object blob objects and tables and queues and Azure files and the ability to create magnetically backed block storage through page blobs? Or do I specifically want the SSD-based premium storage for VMs that have very heavy-duty storage needs? So I'll select standard. And under standard, you'll also see our various replication options. So a little earlier, we talked about local redundancy for standard and premium storage within an Azure Data Center region where every write is synchronously copied to three separate fault domains for standard and premium storage. With standard storage, we also have those geo-replication options to replicate to a remote geo-redundant Azure Data Center region or to replicate to that remote Azure Data Center region and have read access to that replicated copy. So if our application wanted to balance read requests between a couple data centers, it could. Um, we also have an option for zone redundant storage. That's more for um, block blob storage, object storage in our Azure Standard Storage Service. And that creates a geo-replicated, it creates a replicated copy of the storage uh, in multiple zones within an Azure Data Center region. So you have all of those options available to you based on how protected you want that storage to be. The normal uh, criteria is if we're using an Azure storage account for storing objects like block blobs, storing uh, queues, storing tables or whatnot, usually we'd select either geo-redundant or read access geo-redundant. If we're using the storage account for virtual hard disks, particularly virtual hard disks that have very uh, high levels of IOP requirements, we'd want to use locally redundant storage because then we don't have to worry about the extra overhead of geo-replicating that data. And then generally from a VM standpoint, we would store images or backup copies of those VMs in a, um, a geo-replicated, a separate geo-replicated storage account. So in my case, I'll use uh, geo-redundant hey, storage. One other thing I wanted yep. to bring up to folks, sure, too, is sure. that um, for our storage accounts, like we don't look at them the same way as AWS and the other cloud providers, like you said. So one of the big like differences that people always get kind of hung up on is the um, the fact that like when they look at AWS's S3, for example, they just see an unlimited storage bucket. Well, with us, like our storage accounts do have a particular limit because of how we've had it set up for, you know, performance, for uh, redundancy, for SLA, for a lot of uh, various reasons. Now, we can obviously make sure that you have the appropriate amounts of storage. People are storing petabytes and petabytes of data in there. It's just that there's a certain level of management that needs to happen um, on your side. So if you are a customer that is interested in storing you know, like the petabytes of data, you know, just know that you do have to split out your storage accounts um, based on the size. 
Yep, today, yep, that's true. We do have um, storage accounts that have a, sort of a quota up to 500 terabytes per standard storage account. And you're absolutely right. We have lots of customers that are storing petabytes and petabytes of data. Uh, we have lots of good patterns on our uh, available for customers that are storing high volumes of data for being able to manage that data across multiple storage accounts. And, and absolutely, the storage account uh, quotas have been put in place to really be able to provide assurance for performance and scale and SLA availability across those storage accounts. Yep, definitely. So very good point. Uh, consideration to, to keep in mind. So we fill out the basic properties of our storage account. I'm just going to uh, finish up selecting our subscription, selecting our resource group. So I'll select an existing resource group to pop this inside and then click create. And that'll go ahead and create that storage account for me. And once that's created, I can navigate into the properties of that storage account. We'll see the deployment started and it should be created in just a, just a few moments. And our storage account deployment has succeeded. So just like we saw in episode two for networking, we can search for that storage account over in our browse area and pull it up in our, through our resource group, or we can just go ahead and search for it. So I'm just gonna do a global search and look for our storage account. So I'll say Contoso store. There we go, Contoso store 05 was the one we just created. And then within the properties of that storage account, once that comes up, we'll see all of the various services that we talked about for standard storage. So blobs encompassing both block blob objects as well as page blobs for magnetic disks, file storage, tables, queues, all centrally provisionable, configurable right from our storage account. So we looked at a, a little bit at the portal for provisioning and managing storage accounts. Let's drop over into our CLI and, and take a look at how we might be able to uh, manage storage from, from over there. And in our uh, previous episode, we walked through kind of getting started logging in, selecting our subscription, resource groups, and creating a virtual network through the CLI. So we looked at some of the basics. Um, so we're going to pick up from there. If you missed that, be sure to go back to episode two and, and, and watch that area. Um, the Azure CLI, the cross-platform CLI for Linux, Mac OS X, and Windows, provides us with a whole raft of Azure storage commands. And so if I just type Azure storage with a dash dash help switch, we'll see all of those commands for managing all the various aspects of Azure storage consistently across tables and queues and file uh, shares and directories, um, being able to create uh, and manage blobs, containers to organize my blobs, and storage accounts, which we just created through the portal. And so sure enough, if I, uh, in my CLI, if I do an Azure storage account list, we'll see a list of all the storage accounts across my subscription for all the Azure data center regions. Here's the new storage account that, uh, that I just created. And you'll see in the SKU name, whether they're premium storage or standard storage, and whether they're locally replicated or geo-replicated. Um, so you can see I've got a premium storage account and then several standard storage accounts as well, distributed across all of my various Azure data center regions. So to create a new storage account, I can just do an Azure storage account create, and then um, just specify the basic properties. So I need to give my new storage account a name. So we'll say this is Contoso Store 06. I need to specify which resource group I'd like to place that storage account within. So we'll say Contoso RG, just like before. And I need to tell it what type of storage account. So for my SKU name, I want it to be uh, geo-replicated, just like we did through the portal. 
and under I want it to be in our the same location that we've been using in our Southeast Asia data center region and for the kind we're just going to make it standard storage so let me just clear the screen and we'll create a new storage account here so I'll just do an Azure storage account create and I'll give our storage account a new name so we'll say this is Contoso Store 06 and we'll give it a tell it which resource group we wish it to be in so Contoso RG will uh, specify what type of storage it is whether it's locally replicated or geo replicated I'll make this geo replicated and which location so I'll say it's Southeast Asia for the location and then um, the kind so we'll just say it's standard storage uh, so I'll go ahead and press enter and assuming that I didn't fat finger anything it'll go through and create my new storage account just like I did through the portal and then uh, using the standard commands we looked at in our last episode we can do a show a list we can configure the various properties of the storage account and be on our way from from a CLI standpoint well Gerald what do you think does that make sense for how, how people get started with building storage accounts from the portal as well as from uh, the CLI yeah, definitely. I think that's a great starter for folks. Great. Well, let's head back to the office and we'll close out our episode today. Well, Gerald, today we walked through a bunch of different options available with Azure Storage for standard storage, for premium storage, for faster SSD access. And we also looked at the various options that standard storage can provide beyond just storing disks in the cloud for virtual machines, providing object storage for block blobs, file storage that's accessible via SIFS or SMB3, uh, table storage for kind of simple key value type databases, and uh, queue storage for building distributed applications that have uh, queues used to connect the various application tiers. Um, Gerald, thanks so much for, for joining us today. It was re really a pleasure having you on the show again and, and uh, getting your insights. No problem, Keith. Anytime. Great. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today as well. We look forward to seeing you back in our next episode of Microsoft Azure for Amazon AWS Cloud Professionals. And be sure to check out the resources that are located at the bottom of the page that you're watching today's video on to help you get started further with, uh, with Azure and storage. Thanks so much, everyone. See you next time.